0: We're getting up close and personal with all your favorite celebrities on the hottest weekend party show in the city, the Abbey Night Show.
1: What's up, y'all?
0: You're listening to all the hits on the number one party show in the city, the Abbey Night Show.
1: Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. We have a special guest on the show today, Armin Davis. How you doing today?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Try not to use the same word in consecutive sentences.
1: Yeah, you know how that goes. But, you know, I do that sometimes. What can I say? But I will say about you, last I heard, you're definitely on a mission to change the narrative when it comes to funding for minority groups and women-owned businesses, which I think is super, super cool, especially coming from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, but before we dive into all that amazing information, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Where are you from originally?
0: Uh, so I'm born and raised in St. Louis. St. Louis okay. Missouri. Yeah, born, born and raised in St. Louis. Uh, left there and went down to Tallahassee for, uh, to attend the illustrious Florida A&M University and was there, got uh, my degree, my MBA in finance from there, and then moved to Atlanta in 2002 to work in banking and investments. And I've been in Atlanta ever since, been in Atlanta for 20 years now.
1: Nice. You want to hear something funny? I actually lived in St. Louis. I lived on Olive and Ninth, a couple blocks from the Arch. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. It's a long time
1: ago, but yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah you got to eat uh, you got to eat the good the the good st louis chinese food and
1: and and the emo's pizza
0: emo's pizza and frozen i'm still not sold
1: on on emo's pizza and my friends from st louis think i'm crazy they're like you're disrespecting our city i was like (laughs) i mean
0: a massive secret for you i am also not sold on emo's pizza thank
1: you you're the first person i've ever met that was like you know, not like emo's is everything and I, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. Okay. We all got different palates. It just wasn't for me. I'm not saying it wasn't yes. good. I'm just saying it wasn't my favorite, uh, but St. Louis, favorite. right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my mind, you know, uh, but we all have different opinions, especially cause I love pizza. It's my, one of my favorite things to eat. So. you oh, know.
0: Me yeah. Well, my Absolutely. friends were like
1: emos. I was like, yeah, excited. And then I tried and I was like, oh, OK, not my plastic thing, but cheese.
0: thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> process, plastic cheese just
1: wasn't going to going. it. And nah, nah, I wasn't doing it for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of knowing your roots and where you come from, what set you apart as a kid based on what you're doing now? Did you ever have any unique or exciting interests? Because math must have been like a great subject for you
0: man that's a wonderful and fascinating question um i have to think on that so what what set me apart as a kid in in, in, in the context of what i'm doing today uh, i did not think as a kid that i was going to be in investments i didn't come to that conclusion until i was well into college uh i like like a lot of young black men and then who went to college in the mid-90s. I went yeah. to college and just to study advertising because I wanted to be Marcus Graham from Boomerang.
1: Okay, <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> Dreams
1: can start from anywhere, I'm just saying. Listen,
0: listen, <laughs> I was gonna be the Marcus Graham in real life. I was gonna have all the 90s suits and shoulder pads. Oh, you were and, ready. And I was ready, I was ready. I had all the plans. <laughs> And I took my first marketing class, and I was like, "What is this stuff here? This is not for me. Yeah. This is not cool.
1: Different, world. That, different world. a
0: different world. Different world." And so I pivoted, uh, and always loved psychology, but also didn't want to go to medical school and didn't want to write a dissertation. And so, yeah, I can so understand that. I do. That's really, really heavy into psychology, but is also, really tied to business, and so I decided that sales was going to be it for me. And then it became, well, then what am I going to sell? Right? Am I mm. going to do pharmaceutical sales, medical devices? And I ended up coming to the conclusion um, that investments was where my passion lied, and uh, understanding the stock market and patterns uh, of you know bull markets versus recessions and bear markets, and really started, really fell in love with it. And uh, merge that with the fact that uh, because of just pure stubbornness, when I was eight years old, I declared that I was going to be an entrepreneur uh, when I grew up because I didn't like anybody telling me what to do. Okay. Mind, mind that's you, fair. that is the worst reason to become an entrepreneur is just yeah. because you don't want somebody to tell you what to do because <laughs> there's always somebody that's telling you what to do. True, true. Uh,
1: but there is a there is a nice difference and having that balance of being able to plan your own schedule versus being told what your schedule is going to be. So that is really cool. Um, I, Me personally, I was never a fan of math classes when I was in school at all. So I would hate being in accounting or any of that. But I've always found it incredibly fascinated and in wish that when I was in school, there was a mandatory class that spoke to... Our financial literacy in this country, especially when you're talking about your credit score, proper investments, understanding what a stock market even is. So I, I this is going to be super interesting for me, I guess, based on where your passions are, is that what inspired the creation of the Paragon Group?
0: Well, yeah. So w- What inspired the creation was. Uh, so i I came out after i moved to atlanta i worked uh, at a a couple of banks and in in portfolio management and Mm -hmm. then i did my first m a deal i bought a a a small uh, construction business Mm -hmm. and in 2006 it was i bought that business 2007 i thought i was the smartest guy in the world uh (laughs) 2008 i realized i was not the smartest guy in the world and uh by 2010 i was on the verge of bankruptcy And I, um, you know, the recession was in full bore and we really had, if you recall at that time, we had no, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Like no one was saying like, oh, you only got another six months of this. You only got another year of this. It was really everybody, even all the experts were just like, we have no idea when this is going to ever turn around or change. And so I was on the verge of bankruptcy. I had to um, have my paperwork filled out. Had my last little few dollars in my bank account, uh, pulled out and put into a cashier's check to the bankruptcy attorney and went to the bankruptcy or drove to the bankruptcy attorney's office. And I just I could not physically get out of my truck to go into his office and hand him the paperwork. Just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And so I sat there in front of the office for about 30 minutes and, you know, my body wouldn't move. And so I said, well, if 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 I'm not going to go in here, then I've got to go, got to figure it out. So I Mm -hmm. drove back home and vowed to figure it out and battened down the hatches, made some really difficult choices and decisions. um, Many times where I did not, I I didn't get paid and didn't receive a check, but Mm -hmm. managed to to turn the business around and and position it to uh, to grow and to thrive as we began to come out of the recession and very proud to say that i never laid off one a, a, an employee uh, during that during the time of the recession now there were many times where i didn't get paid but yeah. that's one of the lessons of entrepreneurship right you 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 benefit the most as the owner of the business when times are good but mm. part of being the leader is right is when times are tough you're the last one to get paid right when when right. times are tough you make well, sure you have to take
1: care of your people Right. Right. I wish more businesses understood the value in having that loyalty, because when you take care of people, they take care of you. And, you know, that's a full balance system right there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to take it. Your most valuable resource is your human resource.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That's a good one. I'm going to keep that in my little memory bank. That's a really good one. More people should practice by that standard but th- exactly. they really they really don't live by that. So why are you right. so, so passionate about funding for minority groups and for especially women owned businesses? Because I will say as a woman who has tried to start several businesses, finding funding, especially because I'm considered a minority because I am Spanish is nearly impossible. Yeah. And I have male friends who didn't even have as good of a business plan as I did and they were getting funding offers left and right. So yeah. what makes you so passionate about this? This is cool for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for me, it, it comes out of that experience, right? As an owner and operator of businesses, I, I, I've i owned and operated so, over the past 16 years, uh, multiple businesses in Atlanta. And so how I ended up with, you know, launching the, my firm, the Paragon Group, is that. I wanted to merge my investment knowledge and experience from earlier in, in my career with my experiences in owning and running businesses. Mm-hmm. And so and the best way to do that was through venture capital. And so uh, I, I launched my firm. I say I'm, I'm I, when I look at businesses to invest in, I look mm-hmm. at it through the lens of an investor, but with the empathy of a founder, because I, I have been... That. I've been there and, and I've done that. I've had to make the really tough decisions. And so why I'm so passionate, um, frankly, because uh, I, I grew up with uh, a very industrious, hardworking mom. Um, just, I mean, my mom worked for IBM for 40 years. She, wow. uh, while working for IBM, she went to school. It took her, I believe it took her almost eight to 10 years to get her get her MBA. She was going to school, going to school at night. She was, uh, she was doing uh, all those things and balancing all of those things. Uh, so you know, between her and then my grandmother, my father's mother, uh, and both actually both of my grandmothers, just really strong and powerful uh, women. And so I grew up and was raised that uh, to believe that women are more capable than men are. Uh, and I have seen it borne out, even when I think about uh, at my time at Florida A&M, uh, the, the, the women that were in school with me were just stellar. And so I, I really do believe that women entrepreneurs are a truly uh, untapped resource for our community, for our society. And uh, And then the other aspect of it is that, you know, people of color in general are often overlooked in terms of investments, uh, and funding, which is a systemic issue, right? Because we certainly, it's not yes. because of of talent. In fact, I would certainly argue that we do more with less, uh, than anyone, than any other group. And so, uh, my investment thesis is that because, you know, women and minorities are the most disadvantaged by the current system, they will lead in the innovations that come forward that take and move society, you know, into, into the future. And so therefore, if that's the case, then if you invest in the, in, in these people at an earlier stage in their development, then you can make outsized returns. You can make better return, better above average returns. And so I, I really believe that if you want to see sustained investment and, in, uh women and minority entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. then you have to make that strong business case for it of course there's a social reason for it to happen of course there's an emotional reason why it should happen but if you really want to see sustained investment you have to make the business case for it. and the business case is there Mm -hmm. the business case is there the leader the lead in innovation the better returns the data is showing all of this now and so um, I'm very comfortable in investing and working with these founders exclusively in, in, in terms of trying to grow the business.
1: Yeah, the systemic issue in this country is a serious problem. I've I can't even tell you the amount of conversations I've had with people who are oblivious to this, who are like, no, racism isn't, a, yes, it absolutely is. You don't understand racism until you're someone that has to experience it firsthand to understand not only the severity of it but the impact it has psychologically financially emotionally on people and it's always overlooked it's like get over it it's not that serious you know this is just how it is i hate it when people say that this is just how it is you know no it's not there's always a way to create change there's always a way to create new systems that like people like you are empathetic to a real problem and are finding sustainable solutions for people that are in need, not just for an easy resource, but for a tool to help them grow and hopefully create wealth, generational wealth for those that come after them. So I think that's that's really cool. Um, I wanted to know if you wouldn't mind explaining what the importance is when it comes to awareness of equity in this country and the cultural disintegration towards minority groups.
0: Well, so, you know, since we're having an investment conversation, mm-hmm. I'll ask you to, to, to dive deeper in a little bit in terms of when you're talking about equity, because are you talking about equity from a social perspective in terms of leveling the playing field? Or are you talking about equity from an investment perspective in terms of ownership?
1: Well, when you talk about it, essentially they can become one and the same because yep. social groups become prioritized when they become financially wealthy or successful to where they're considered equal in certain groups and certain meetings and tables. So I feel like they they kind of live together in a way.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That was that couldn't have, we could have rehearsed that answer. <laughs> that fantastic answer. And so in that vein, what, I'm striving to do, and I'm certainly not the only one that's out here that's striving to do this. I don't have the market cornered in building equity in, uh, amongst underserved communities, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to do is create what I, what I call this a, a, an ecosystem of exchange, right? Where mm-hmm. we invest in um, female and minority founders and in the process of working with them and helping them to grow and scale their business. Then we get to a point where we have what's called an exit or we have a liquidity event where we either sell the business or we receive significant investment that allows for the founder to become more liquid. We create a wealth event, right, for Mm -hmm. the founder. Well, in the process of doing that, not only have we helped that founder and their family and their descendants for generation, but we've also just created another minority investor. Right. And so now they have had their business and we've helped them to build their business. And then we've sold the business. or so we've gotten uh, a significant investment. And so now they can take some of the funding, some of the money that they receive from that, and they can start to invest. In fact, I actually require if I invest in, in you as a founder, I require that you mentor another founder, either in your geographic area where you, where you live or in your industry. If you don't do that, I'm i pull your funding.
1: Wow. I yeah, love yeah. that.
0: I'm serious about it. And so in that process of what we're doing is by the time, you know, two, three years, five years down the road, when you are approaching your liquidity event, you've already been working with at least one other founder entrepreneur that's coming up behind you. Mm. And so then you can, now you you can invest alongside me in that founder. Right. And you've been sharing uh, all of the knowledge and the experience that I've been sharing with you as a founder. Right. With that coming up behind. So that you can grow. It's important for me to do that. Uh, There were people that took the time to share their knowledge and their experiences with me. Um, I certainly didn't get here all on my own uh, or by myself. And so a big part of that is to pass that knowledge on and to pass that and to pay it forward.
1: I was going to say that gives a whole new meaning to paying it forward. I've never heard of a business that prioritizes that principle, which is extremely important when you're talking about growth because it's a full circle moment.
0: Well, and and, and frankly, it's good business, right? Mm -hmm. It's good business. Like, you you know, that's the fundamental principle, right? You have customers, you serve your customer, Mm -hmm. you serve your customer well. You have a product, right? So for me as an investor, my product is the are, are the founders that I'm invested in, right? right? Because the better that they do, the more well off they are, the better their businesses are, the more e- the easier it is for me to attract more investment capital to then put out into to more founders. And so it's important to me. It's necessary, really, for me as a, as a venture capitalist to really ensure that the founders that I'm working with have the tools, not just tools in terms of P and you know, profit and loss statements, uh, income, statement, balance sheets, but I'm also really working very closely with founders to help them become the best possible version of themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the things I say to my founders is that your business can't outperform you. Right. right. And so if you haven't dealt with all your traumas, And you bring a lot of baggage to the table and you're easily distracted and you're not able to stay focused on the business. And so you're only able to function at a level four or five as a, you know, as a person, then your business is going to function at a level two or three. Right. And so if we want the business to be successful, particularly when you're talking about early stage founders, when you're talking about pre-seed, seed stage founders, where the businesses are really really founder dependent, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I can help you as a as a founder get to where you've gotten you're working through those traumas, you're moving past those mental roadblocks, those upper limit problems, right? Mm-hmm. Then I can get you where you're functioning at a, you know, 9 or a 10 as a person, then your business will come along with you and the business will perform right right there with you. But we've got to help, you know, our founders cuz we have unique challenges in our communities, mm-hmm. right? And there are things that we deal with and things that we have to, you know, we have to overcome, not just physically, but emotionally. Right. Right. And so if I can help you to become the best version of yourself along this journey, then I I believe that your business success will follow.
1: I love that. It's and it's a a completely like I said, it's a it's a it's a for me, it's a fresh perspective on an everlasting problem that people just pretend to sweep under the rug it's like if we don't see it it's not there what have you found to be the catalyst in most of these circumstances because obviously you're living this every day because you're the one you know you're building your business which is always a challenge because you have your highs and lows but you're also helping create a foundation for other individuals to get to the point that you are today
0: yeah i i think the You know, a big part of that is the fact that I have lived through it. You know, when I was in the throes of the recession, when I was really struggling and having, you know, in those moments, you really do feel like, oh, what? why am I even going through this? Why am I dealing with this? Why do I have to go through this? But really, everything is in preparation, right, Mm -hmm. for you to continue to walk your path. And so for me, I look back on it. I'm so grateful that I went through those challenges, because when I sit across the table from a founder now, I'm really able to say, look, I really understand what you're going through. And I'm really able to to to, to really relate to the choices that you have to make, the challenges that you're facing. So these are the things that I did to really try to help to focus, right, and overcome mm-hmm. these things. And understanding that there's not a a one-size-fits-all fix, right? Everybody has different issues that they bring to the table and things that they wrestle with. But I think that the solution always starts with empathy. Uh, And uh, I I think that if you can really master being truly empathetic, and there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy, right? Mm -hmm. sympathy is, oh, man, that sucks. I'm really sorry that happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. Empathy is... I've been there. I know how I know how it feels to feel overlooked. I know how it feels to give your all to something and for it not to turn out how you wanted it to turn out. Like you said, I, I you know I, I felt you. I could hear it in your voice when you said, "Man, I've I've had businesses. I've had plans and ideas for businesses. I built those businesses, and I couldn't get any funding. And I sat and watched men that I know." Who didn't have as thorough of a plan and have the, the business and the detail that I had, and watch them go and get funding, and go off and go off and do things, and I listen, I know, I, I know how that feels. I know that that twinge you get when you when your friend when when, when the guy calls you and says, "Man, I just got a million dollars. I'm going to go get this Porsche." Yeah, and, you, and they just
1: rub it in, and I'm like. Yeah but i have so much more to offer like yeah. i could bring so much more money it, like yeah. the way that i had everything mapped out it i mean there was a portion that was giving back to charity it was it was a is a full circle operation with something that had legs to last for a very long time and yeah. nobody really wanted to hear the idea it was kind of like and you need after a certain point One thing about people that have an entrepreneurial mind is that you have to have help. You need funding in order to get to the next step. So individuals can only grow so much. You can only go so far. It's like people that say, oh, me, 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 me. No, it takes a team. As they say, it takes a village. You have to have someone that helps, anyone that's successful in the world right now. Mark Cuban, any of these big billionaires that are doing great things in the world, right? They didn't just come into wealth because they stumbled into it by accident. Someone saw what they were doing. They believed in it. They made the investment and gave them an opportunity to grow and become what they are today. Without that initial step, where would you be? It always takes someone to give you that first opportunity to open the door and say, here are the tools. Here are the resources. Let's help you grow. Let's build together. And I think that's a conversation that, too often people don't have, and I think also the problem with with this is the stigma in today's society. People don't really want to see people they know succeed. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay if you're doing well, but I don't necessarily want you to do better than me. And that's right. a big problem in the world that we live in today. I wish more people had the perspective that you have today because this is necessary. And I think if more people took the time to focus on this, there would be a lot more financial freedom. But then I guess the control and the power would shift when, you know, you're talking about creating new vessels and new cycles like that. So, you know, as far as concerned, as far as your perspective and, and looking into the future, what changes are you hoping to create in supporting these groups by providing knowledge and helping create the proper ecosystems for them to to succeed
0: well really two things well, the, the first is that i want to normalize investing in and in, and being that person who says to our uh, our female founders that says to our uh, minority minority business owners hey i do see your vision i do believe in what it is that you're doing." And I'm going to help you to do that. You know, I'm going to be that, you know, that's my goal. I'm going to be that person Mm -hmm. for the founders that I invest in. My only regret is that even if you gave me a trillion dollars of assets under management, then I I wouldn't be able to invest in every qualified uh, founder. Right. And so uh, I know that I'm going to have to say no to people. Um, You know, I know that I'm not going to be able to help everyone but my focus is on the ones that i do that i am able to help that i will and then the second part because it's interesting you mentioned when you talk about you know you people wanting to attract the investment and having the people to say yes and then you want to build this ecosystem really what we want and what we need to do is continue is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem where we are the decision makers. Right. Because there's always a ceiling on how high you can go when you're relying on stepping outside of your community for your funding, for your capital, for your 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 guidance, for your expertise. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I want to normalize it from the perspective of. They uh, to where the out the outsiders of the majority are seeking to come in and asking us to include them to get in our investments, because we've established such a track record, we've established such uh, such, such success. Right. But I also want for us to build an ecosystem where when we do have these founders that are coming up, that we can, I can call my neighbor and he can call his cousin and she can call her uncle and her aunt and we can come together and help to push these founders and bring these founders forward.
1: That is um, a really beautiful thing to do. I really want to commend you on that. There's, I know there's a lot of individuals that are contributing to helping make these changes and implement these changes uh, in the system that we have today. But it's really cool when you can really sit down and have a conversation with someone who's lived the story that they're wanting to contribute to. It's very easy to, to come from wealth and and say, oh, well, I want to empathize with somebody, but to really feel what that is like is completely different. It's a different yeah. level of understanding and connecting with someone. Uh, let's talk a little bit, because you've had so much that you've done. Let's talk a little bit about funding after the NFL. What does that mean to you, and what, what was the purpose behind that?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think you, I mean, I'm sure you, you're familiar with the statistics, right? You have you, 70%, I believe, of uh, as the NFL NBA or pro athletes at, at some point have financial difficulty. Uh, significant percentage of them end up filing for bankruptcy. Uh, i think that it's not just important but it's really necessary to help when you talk about financial literacy and uh and educating um these brothers that are coming out of these uh, out of these leagues where you make a tremendous amount of money at a short period of time right. in a early stage in your life right mm. and so it's great to be 21 years old and be making $10 million a year, right? Frankly, for me, I would rather build my business, my investment business, my investment firm over time where I can be 50, 60, 70 years old and still be making that kind of money right? right. and not be on average 27, 28 years old and my peak earning years are behind me right? <laughs> and I think that we can change that and we can help to change that because if we get, and, and we, we got some athletes, particularly NBA, the NBA athletes that are getting involved in venture. Uh, Kevin Durant does a, does a ton of stuff in venture capital. Andre Iguodala also does a ton in, in, in that space. We know that, uh, Nas, uh, I believe he maybe i read something. Well, that said not Nas actually makes more money from, uh, from venture capital than he ever, than he ever made from rapping and from, from music. And so, um, We have some that are getting involved in it, but I think that it really needs to be a comprehensive process of really educating these brothers about the opportunities to invest in people of color, founders of color, and really begin to elevate and be a catalyst for Mm -hmm. elevating uh, these businesses. It's good because, like I said, we make the emotional case for it. It's good and sustainable, you help your people. You're doing those things, but also it sets you up and puts you in a position that inevitably when you're playing days end, you still are able to make choices and be a leader and possibly even uh, through your investments, make as much or even more money than you made uh, while you were playing.
1: You know, a couple of great examples of that are Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron. Sure. They've they've come in and they've multiplied. And it hasn't, I look at a lot of these people, especially when you're talking about major wealth and success, it's a completely different level of success. Even someone mm-hmm. like Jay Z, who's out here giving advice to people that are younger coming into the industry, telling them, you know, don't throw all your money at cars and jewelry and all this stuff, invest it. Understand about, you know, the stock market, know, understand digital currency, know your opportunities. And you know, be be a fountain of knowledge, and that that's a very different type of investment in someone. It's very easy to say, "Oh, I'd like to do," but when you give someone knowledge, that's a tool. That's a tool that they gain that they can take and grow with for years. Then it may even allow them to seek new opportunities that weren't even top of mind. I I've personally I've met Kevin Durant before. He's a super nice guy. Uh, definitely very focused businessman, and I think more people i wish it was publicized more the athletes that you have out here the public figures that are giving back that are helping to uplift i wish these were some of the headlines that some of the the media and press outlets focused on sometimes because they do so many incredible things and it's underserved i don't even think there's so many people i've met over the years because like I told you myself, I, I couldn't find funding, right? So I spoke to tons of people and people weren't really familiar with options or opportunities like that. And I think that comes back to having that knowledge key factor in knowing what your resources are and what's available to you based on, you know, where you're currently at and your level of growth. How do you think, because obviously we're talking about people of color, and regardless of what anybody says, we know this is a problem in this country. It doesn't matter how you flip it. You can you can turn around and pretend to not see it, but it's definitely there. It's still a very real problem. It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon, which it's unfortunate that after all these years, people say, we've made so much progress. No, we haven't. So how do you think? I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I just, I think it's so, ridiculous the way that the system is set up, because I think it's set up for people to fail. Um, how do you think social and racial injustice impacts opportunities for black business owners and potential funding as they're coming into these opportunities?
0: Oh, well, how much more time we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that goes back, really, it goes back three, 400 years. Yeah. Right in terms of the impact. I mean, if you think about it, we had in Reconstruction, we had uh, black people in the Senate, we had black people as mayors, we had black people owning land, mm-hmm. we had people that were that that were in these positions in the eighteen eighties, mm-hmm. right, seventies, eighteen eighties, in these positions, and then Jim Crow came uh, and fear, right, drove uh drove white people to uh implement these rules and these laws and also fear uh drove uh congress not to enforce the laws that they had on books to to allow people Mm -hmm. to have equity and we talked about equity uh a little bit earlier and so the impact of this is felt for generations when you have you still have kids today who are first uh in their family to go to college Right. And, and and when you had in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, where black people couldn't pass their wealth down from generation to generation. So even if you, even if you did accumulate wealth, you couldn't pass it along. You know, we were, we were, we didn't get to participate in the industrial revolution, right? Because we were systematically frozen out. Uh, as uh, from being entrepreneurs and that we came up with and created products and we couldn't get patents. we couldn't get trademarks for things. So we were systemically frozen out of the industrial revolution. We were systemically frozen out in terms of the land ownership revolution. you, you remember uh, yeah, well, you you may I'm not gonna say you remember like you're around at that time, but our grandparents, when they could barely acquire land, and barely acquire property when they were when they were coming up right but land was inexpensive at that time particularly compared to what it's what it's worth today right and so we weren't able to participate in that we were redlined out of that you know they systematically designed it to where our neighborhoods were undervalued underfunded and therefore undervalued we didn't even really participate in the in, in the first tech boom right in the 80s and the 90s you had the stock market crash in 87 uh that happened and we always are we being and we, and we being uh, underserved groups so persons of color under underrepresented groups mm-hmm. we are always the most affected by um economic calamity and so we're the last to begin to participate when things are going well we didn't really even start getting serious venture money in into our communities until after george floyd's murder in 2020 right that's mid 2020 by early 20 by the beginning of this year in early 2022 mm-hmm. uh they had they had cut that faucet off they had said well the economy's uh starting to slow down and we have to have a quote-unquote flight to quality right which means if you haven't had three or four exits as a founder, then you can't get funding. If you haven't raised three or four uh, funds as a as a as a fund manager, then you can't get you can't get allocation. Those those all those policies all negatively impact us as a community and make it extremely difficult for us to establish ourselves and get a foothold to where we can focus on the future more so than focusing on just surviving in right now.
1: And that's that's the conversation that becomes yeah. uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's the reality of what we're dealing with today. So yeah. I, I always think it's, I love seeing any of my friends succeeding because oh, yeah. I know how hard it is just to be able to, to plant a seed and, and watch it start to grow let alone fully bloom or, you know, if we're really talking about metaphors, really really bloom or grow into a, a massive tree that's around for generations. That's when yeah. you talk about creating real change is being able to implement tools that last for multiple generations, not just for a good time right now so I can go, you know, stunt and floss that I've got all these things that are so expensive, this jewelry. At the end of the day, yeah. what does that do for you? you're not that's really right. creating tools and that's what I loved about LeBron when he went and he created a school. He didn't need to put that money into that. He didn't need to take time out of his day to create an environment for people that are underserved to have access to a greater education. Right? It's yeah. so much easier to just take that money, put in your bank account, go buy a yacht, go live lavishly, do whatever it is you need to do. But that forward thinking and understanding what your you the chain reaction that you're starting and you right. what you're implementing and instilling in these kids is beautiful because you're giving people the opportunity to dream
0: absolutely it's the parable right it, it it's the it, it's the feed the man a fish versus teach the man the fish right you feed you feed right. a man a fish you feed him for a day but if you teach him how to fish then you feed him for a lifetime and right. i i think that you know we are huge proponents of teaching uh, our entrepreneurs, how to fish entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of every community mm-hmm. of every community, because that's how your dollar circulates through within your community is through the entrepreneurs. Right. Mm-hmm. And so okay. it's, it's, it's not just important, but it's necessary for a community to ever get to a point where it can have some measure of independence, right. For its right. entrepreneurs to be uh to be supported and so that's really what we're trying to do here uh at the paragon group is to we're really big on teaching the founders how to fish right and so and then requiring that they then teach other founders what we've taught them right
1: right and it it just that's what you call instilling growth in people it it, when it's not an option and you have to give not only that but maybe to someone that wasn't set in that type of principle you're establishing a whole new pattern for a whole new generation of individuals because someone that may not have been thinking about paying it forward it now becomes a way of being because you're letting them know hey i'm here to, to support you and to help you but if you can't help somebody else We're gonna take that away, we're gonna gonna take that back and we're gonna give it to somebody else that understands and believes in the system of what it means to pay it forward. So I think that that's so impressive and so meaningful to look at at a, a situation with a perspective of change because it's a lot easier to just be agreeable and settle for what's comfortable for most than to be the person that creates change. So I think I think that's so cool. What's the dream for you?
0: I mean, the the dream is to have as broad of an impact as possible across uh, across underrepresented communities really globally. Uh, The dream is to is to build uh, one of the most successful. It doesn't have to be the largest, but the most successful uh, venture capital investment firms in 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 the world and success being defined as um helping to create wealth uh in underrepresented communities and so in doing that if i can do that then i i'm happy and also i'm going to put 100 kids through college all expenses paid that's the that's the dream too i'm gonna do that
1: that's incredible i love that that's so inspiring i hope that people that are listening to this conversation, understand the conversation that's been had and the importance when it comes to the takeaways that come with it because uh, they always say that you can accomplish more as a group when you come together. So I I think this is really impressive. I'm so excited to see what kind of growth you end up having. What's, What's the big plan for
0: 2023? Well, 2023 is raising more capital to invest in invest in these, these talented uh, and, and highly capable founders, and that's that's my mission. That's what I'm going to be out doing. Uh, always looking to meet more talented uh, founders uh, who are looking for investment. Always want to have a, a, a deep pipeline, right, of founders that um, that are ready for investment. But then also we yeah, have the process of raising the capital and getting the investment money in. So I tell, I, I tell founders all the time, I'm a startup founder too. It's just that my startup <laughs> is a business that invests in startups.
1: <laughs> right, which most people don't think of. Yeah. And, and that's the beautiful thing about change and about growth and understanding your resources. Because you yep. knew once you found a tool that worked for you and you had that opportunity you knew what it would take to create that for somebody else. So it's really impressive to see what you're doing. It's creating such a positive impact. If there's anybody out there that wants to check out what you have going on and obviously what the Paragon Group is doing, where can they go to get this information?
0: Uh, Our website is paragoninvestmentfund.com. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know how you give your LinkedIn. but Armond Davis, A-R-M-O-N-D Davis. And uh, I'm in Instagram at Armond Davis. And actually Twitter is at Armond Davis. Instagram is at I am Armond. Oh, somebody else must have
1: taken the name, huh?
0: Somebody took that name. Let me tell you.
1: First of all, all I would have been like, first of all, I'm going to need you to give me my name back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,
0: this person, this person, who, the person that has has literally, I think they have maybe three posts in since 2014, and they have uh, have my name, and so uh, I'll get it back one day.
1: So you are, I am,
0: I love it. I am Armand on Instagram, Twitter. I did get Armand Davis uh, on on Twitter, but Instagram, I am Armand Instagram.
1: So you guys already know where to go. This has been. Such an amazing conversation, so eye-opening, and uh, I, I just wanna thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me about this today.
0: No, I, look, I'm really grateful to you. Uh, and and the last thing I would say to you, uh, I know you had your experience with your, your business and your startup that you had, and, and, and people didn't wanna have the conversation with you uh, about it and, and funding, but something that I do always say, I encourage founders is, You know, continue to push forward with that. The universe put that idea in your head for a reason. It chose you for that. Don't ask people for permission for you to use your gifts. Okay. So you have a gift and that spark was put in you for a reason. And so continue to use that gift and you'll be amazed at how the universe will make a way uh, for you to continue to do so.
1: I love that. I'm definitely I'm going to revisit that and I'll end up uh, probably chatting with you about a couple yeah. other things. I mean, it's like I said it's been such a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, Armand Davis. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to the Abbey Night show. <laughs>